This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, and as ever, a very warm welcome to Total Saints Podcast. This is episode 26, and I'm Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners from Twitter. As always, I'm joined by Adam Leach, the Chief Sports Writer at the Southern Daily Echo. Adam, good trip up and back to Burnley yesterday? Yeah, yeah, it's a long one, and obviously, uh, as everybody knows, there's a lot of long trips coming up in the next uh, month or so, so we've been stealing ourselves for it, and obviously pretty cold, but... You know what? The traffic gods smiled on us yesterday, so we had one positive to take from <laughs> yesterday. We got up there and back safely, and we didn't get stuck in any traffic. So, you know, what more could you want? Good good to hear. And I, do you know, I can't believe it's taken me until episode 26 to ask you this, but obviously for those that don't know, you, you, you tend to travel to the games with Pete Howard, your colleague. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, um, yeah. So I was going to ask, I mean, out of interest, what, what, do, you, what do you two spend the time doing to pass the time when you're traveling up and down the motorways i mean is it listen to music or football chat or i spy or what i mean what do you what do you do <laughs> a good, yeah a good game of ice but to be honest with you we just chunter on endlessly it's a bit like uh, if if you and i did it it would be like a, a eight hour podcast basically if you yeah. recorded it uh so that, i mean we talk about all sorts obviously and um you know, I've had a couple of colleagues previously, Jeremy Wilson and Gordon Simpson as well, who's now at the club. Um, and you get to know each other very, very well because you spend a lot of time with each other on the road. And obviously, there's a lot of interesting topics of conversation. But the thing about journalists is that obviously, uh, they, your journalists, their job is to talk a lot, so and to you know interact a lot. And they're notoriously journalists. Um, terrible gossips as well so there's a lot of chit chat about you know things that are going on people we know um and also it's really good for uh, actually when you have to write about these things and you're trying to write reason balanced opinions it's, it's interesting to hear somebody else's view in depth uh and to then hear their ideas and that sometimes influences your own thinking as well or, or what you've been thinking or leads you to question things and the more you talk things out the more uh, the more you get a more rounded opinion rather than something that's just reactionary. So we do try and do something constructive, but yeah, quite a lot of the time we uh, yeah we're just basically trying to keep each other awake. Yeah, yeah. And either of you nervous drivers? I mean, I, I know I'm one of those people that I tend to put my foot on the brake if I'm in the car with someone else and I'm not driving. But uh, I mean, is Pete nervous if you're driving all the other way around, or do you get on all right? No, I think we get on all right actually. I don't. He hasn't mentioned it, and I haven't seen <laughs> his, his knuckles go white yet, so he seems okay. Yeah. No, to be honest. We're uh, we're we're a very sedate pace in our little company Vauxhall Corsa compared to uh, Adam Blackmore from Radio Solent, who yeah. overtook me on the way to West Brom. And uh, well, I, I wouldn't want to shop him in, obviously, to any if we have any uh, law enforcement officers listening. <laughs> but uh, I don't believe he was probably going slightly faster than seventy. Yeah, seventy-one maybe. There we but go. But he, he, yeah, he goes quick. 
Does he? <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. All right, excellent. Well, in this week's podcast, we're going to talk about the uh, Burnley game that Adam's just mentioned there. We're going to preview next week's home game against Stoke City. And we're going to discuss a, a couple of other things in and around Saints at the moment as well. Um, first things first, off the back of last week's invitation for emails, and I didn't tell you this, Adam, because I wanted to make sure we got an honest answer. I didn't want to give you a heads up on it. But um, oh, a, uh, <laughs> a gentleman called Stephen Cartwright got in touch to ask you a question, actually. And it, it's almost an ask Adam, but because he um, took the time to email us, I thought I'd make sure that we um, got it in this week. So um, Stephen said, love the podcast, listen every week. Adam, you mentioned last week about the frozen press area at Turf Moor on one visit previously, and it got me wondering, during your time following Saints, which ground has had the best press access? So he's put here, i.e. space to work, view, food and drink, etc. And which ground has been the worst? Thanks, Stephen. So I was going to make sure we got that in early doors, really. So your your best ground and your worst ground? Well, um, it's hard. Notoriously in terms of because, I mean, we, we are very lucky in the press in that we do um, we do get fed before games as well uh, in, our, in the press rooms. Um, we basically have a, a press. There's normally a press lounge, so an area where indoors where you gather. They quite often do the pre- post-match press conferences there. We normally get fed and watered in there. Then we have a press box. So a lot of people ask, you know, assume sometimes that we sit in the stands with laptops on our on our laps or something. But obviously we don't. We have a separate area in the stand that uh, Premier League has standards that have to be met. So we have to have desks, plugs, Wi-Fis and uh, reasonable access to TV replays as well um, as the game is going on. So, um, yeah, so for, in terms of food, and that's always the most important part of my day. Um, <laughs> everybody who knows me well always laughs because the first thing that people ask me is not how was the football or how was the game, but how was the food? Because yeah. uh, uh, the thing is, when you're doing a long day, like, yeah, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying poor me because I know a lot of people from Southampton would have gone up to Burnley the same as we did, but 6 a.m. alarm call, when, you know, you drive up there, it's a long way, we do five or six quite hard hours work while we're there, and then we drive back and get home at midnight or whatever, and obviously then we get up on Sunday and we've got a few more hours to do. Um you, but when you're going a long way, you need food. Uh, you know, that is quite helpful. Yep. So, um, yeah, in terms of the best food, it's Chelsea. Oh, the, the food at Chelsea is magnificent. They do a great spread, honestly. <laughs> Hot food, cold food. The cold buffet yeah. is is out of this world. It's, it's it to is die just, for. Oh, mate, it's, it is amazing. It's so good. It's so good. Man City are really good and Arsenal are really good as well. Um, I think Arsenal's probably my favourite all round it's obviously a new ground and, and the thought they've put into the whole process of kind of where you go in um the way the press rooms laid out is really good for for working lots of working space individual working space you're well looked after the people there are always so helpful uh, which is important as well as the facilities uh press conference rooms well laid out the press box is is quite comfortable as well um so yeah, I think I think that's probably the best. The worst, wow, there have been some shockers. But the one that stands out in my mind as being the worst is South End. Oh, oh my goodness me! Wow, oh, it was just it is just horrible. It is horrible. And it, the press box last time I was there was one of these. Sometimes they for, in the past for reasons unknown they thought that the press needed to be caged behind glass sometimes, <laughs> and so you get no atmosphere. You can't hear anything that's going on. Um, and that was one of them. It was incredibly cramped and damp, uh, and wet, and a bit and a bit smelly, and uh, and there wasn't proper room there, and nobody was very friendly, and oh, it was just it, I can't even remember what the score was, but I it's can. just one of those. What was it? Yeah, we lost two one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, I should say that was the time I went because Raziak scored, but uh, I think Lee Barnard got both their goals actually. But do you know why I say that? Because I was Stephen's email got me thinking about the worst grounds that I'd ever been to, stuff the best ones. But uh, Southend uh, was definitely one of my two, and then Gillingham was the other one because that was like a temporary stand, no roof on it. We lost that game two one as well. David Connolly scored. It was the last uh, away game of the first Pardew season. We got absolutely rained on. It was just a dreadful day. So yeah, I can I can I can understand where you're coming from on Southend totally. Yeah, so I think I think I have to go for South End then yeah. all, all round. That was just there was just I just remember that being a really miserable day at work and yeah. just getting home because I think it was a night game as well for some reason. Get, it might be a Friday night or something stupid like that and mm. getting home and 
whatever time in the morning and closing the door and going to bed and thinking this is just one day to forget until now so it's yeah. given me a story so well, there we I'm go. very grateful there we go well thanks Stephen yeah no, and, and the other thing that got me thinking there as well that you said about Arsenal having the uh, sort of best layout and the best view and everything which is incredible when you think how much uh, Arsene Wenger tends to miss from the touchline but there we go so uh, good so well no thank you very much Stephen for sending the email through it's much appreciated um, as mentioned last week and I'll just reiterate again if anyone wants to get in touch wherever you are in the world Total Saints podcast at yahoo.com anyway this is total saints podcast episode 26 saints picked up a point at burnley thanks to a last minute equalizer from manola gabbiadini and it moved them out of the relegation zone Adam, due to watching England getting stuffed at Murrayfield alongside a lot of Scotsmen yesterday, I didn't actually see the game. I did see that Simon Peach tweeted to say it was possibly the worst and lowest quality Premier League football match he'd ever seen. Was that a fair analysis? I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to argue with that. I mean, it, it was... Oh, my goodness, it was a, it was abysmally bad. I mean, the first half... Uh, I... I don't, it's difficult because I've been stealing myself because I don't like to just be, I don't like to be one of these people that's really negative all the time, especially not when I'm coming on uh, to the podcast and we're talking about saints and, and I try and always give a balanced view uh, of, of what I see and not be too much one way or the other. But I must admit, I, I yesterday was very, very taxing. The, the Burnley game was very taxing because it was just such, a, I mean, not only did saints not play well, Burnley didn't play well, and it was just such a terrible, terrible game of football. I mean, if if they'd have called it off after 20 minutes, I think everybody would have gone home happy, to be honest, <laughs> because it was the only thing... In fact, somebody did mention perhaps the pit, it might get really cold and the pitch would be frozen. I thought, well, the only saving grace is about, about continuing this game is that we'd have to come back otherwise. And I, can't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to sit through any more of that. I mean, it was turgid football. Yeah. It was just two teams just utterly bereft of any confidence whatsoever is how it seemed from the outside you knew what Burnley were going to be about especially when they named only one up front mm. and you, and they, they played exactly as you would expect them to and I, I think what what really what really disappointed me about Saints is a point in the context of the season doesn't look like a bad result, especially if you beat Stoke. Four points from the two games, OK. And maybe at that point we'll turn around and say, if they, if they do beat Stoke, OK, it was a good point. Yep. But th- th- they were three points there for the taking. My goodness, Burnley were there for the taking. I mean, th- any hint, any time Saints got even a modicum of pressure, which is about all they managed for the majority of the game, but even a modicum of pressure, you know, attacking-wise going forward, Burnley looked like they could crumble at any moment. I mean, it just seemed like that if you, if you're going to get wins away from home, that is exactly the kind of fixture when the opposition just are almost begging to be taken by the scruff of the neck and beaten, and and you don't do it. You just kind of they almost felt to me like there was more of a fear of losing had crept in rather than a desire to, to necessarily go out and do what it takes to win the game. Yeah. And, we've, I mean, we've had that all season, really, haven't we? Well, I, I mean, yes, there has been a certain amount of conservative football, but this is on another, this was on another level. Yeah. I mean, this is, this was next level stuff because at least some of what's happened, I can, you can defend and you can say, okay, well, that was that, you know, there, there were reasons there and points in the season and reasons why Saints are on, should be confident after what happened at West Brom. In fairness to Pellegrino, I know he will get some stick, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, and I've got criticisms from this weekend as well. But yeah. um, he did name, uh, other than one change, and, and to be fair, it's a somewhat interchangeable one anyway, the three in midfield, central midfield. He did keep largely the same team. He did stick with them after they did well at West Brom and after they showed a bit of, you know, a bit more confidence, a bit more attacking threat. So why they would come out and play like that again, I don't know. It just, mm. I mean, they got a point, so let's be positive, um, you know, and in the next transfer window, let's sign up Bobby Madley because, wow, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he is credited with an assist. And uh, I, you just wonder at the end of the season, uh, given how tight it's going to be, whether that, I, I know things go for all teams uh, you know, during the season, but that might just be a really crucial uh, piece of luck for Saints because yeah. um, though 
uh, Burnley certainly didn't play any better than Saints. They didn't deserve to win. Uh, I honestly don't think Saints would have got anything out of that game were it not for um, really, I've got to be honest, to say an appalling piece of refereeing. We all have a go at refs when they get decisions wrong, um, but we don't often talk about positioning and things like that. And when you look at it, the, every angle you look at it from, he made a mess of that. And his, all right, it's not his fault eventually that it led to a goal, but his hand in that probably dictated the result of that game and the destination of those points. And that's on his head. Yep. That's his fault. Uh, and I, I would say that's that squarely falls on his shoulders, really. And yeah. that's that's pretty crucial. That's as bad as making a completely incorrect 90th minute penalty call, in my opinion. Well, let, I mean, let's think back to the Watford game. Roger East, he let Watford score the goal. I mean, we're still minus one point effectively over those two decisions. But that's the difference between the referee... I know it wasn't a decision that Bobby Madley made yesterday, but a piece of luck, I think we can call both of those. You know, Watford got the luck, we got the luck yesterday. So, I mean, they, they, there's the old cliche, and I, as I said last week, I like to try and get one in a podcast about these things uh, equaling themselves out across the season. So, I, I was going to mention Bobby Madley, but uh, he, he's not a referee I'm particularly fond of either. I think he's dreadful week in, week out. It's just for once that he was dreadful in our favour, I guess. Well, he's pretty good at blocking players. We know that. <laughs> he's good. He's good at that. If you need a midfield enforcer, yeah. then I think I think maybe get get the checkbook out and get him in because that was just <laughs> it was a a remarkable moment. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I'm not the the biggest fan of his anyway, and and I, it, you know, at the end of the day, he's given Burnley Saints. So I mean, <laughs> he wasn't given the League Cup final this weekend. So um, or, yeah. or Man United Chelsea was he? So maybe. Maybe that says something as well. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, but sort of get, sorry, getting back to the point, I got I sidetracked myself a bit there. But, um, yeah, I think overall when I look at the game, I, I just feel really disappointed because that that really did seem to me um, to be three points that were there for the taking. And as, as Peachy rightly said, it was, it was just... There wasn't even the saving grace that it was a good game because mm. it was just... Abysmal. I mean, when we look back, uh, if we're doing this podcast in five years' time and somebody emails in and says, what are the worst Premier League games that you've ever seen? That This is, wow, this is going to take some beating yeah. because it was that bad. The, yeah. the quality was that poor. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, the other thing I'm thinking about is that we, we've built these five games up to be really massive in the context of, of Saints' season. And uh, I can understand what you're saying about the element of them not wanting to lose, because I think we've, as, a, as I said, we've seen that a lot this season. But it's not a great start to five massive games when they come out with a lacklustre and lethargic um, performance like that, is it? I mean, I know they got something out of the game, but just in terms of the way they played. Yeah, I mean, the, what was strange about it is that... <sighs> It's hard to really totally describe the performance because it wasn't as if there was no effort or there was no commitment. It wasn't a lazy performance from the players. It just lacked that intent. It was just it was just a, a performance that seemed to me to be so preoccupied by the fact that Burnley were going to be big and strong and they're going to play direct and you're going to have to defend solidly and as a unit and maybe defend deep and, and things like that. That it kind of almost lacked any intent to win the game mm. until they went behind and when they went behind oh the, the obviously the substitutions were made and then there was a oh you know perhaps we better sort of you know make an effort to score you know really try and go forward and score some goals and uh as soon as they did that i'm not saying we saw brilliant free-flowing football but they, they caused burnley no end of problems and you just sat there scratching your head going why, do, why was there none of this? There was virtually none of it in 70 minutes prior to that because you just felt that if there had been, you you never know what the outcome is, but if there had been, I honestly think Saints would have won that game comfortably. And to me, this weekend, and it feels stupid to say this when you've got when you've gone away and you've got a point, which is always a solid result in the Premier League, yep. and you were seconds away from losing and you probably only salvaged a point thanks to a terrible piece of refereeing, you should be on a real high, but I just I don't think that's a point game. That to me that that was two points lost this weekend because because not because there were you know you normally say that when there were loads of chances missed or things like that, but just because Burnley just looked like they were there for the taking and getting wins away from home in the Premier League is not easy. Saints have certainly proved that this season, and um and, and yeah they they came away sort of almost happy to have got a point in in the end, and I I, I just think that. That's 
that to me that just worried me a little bit yesterday, just because I think the teams that are getting out of the of the danger zone are the teams that are showing more intent to go and win games rather than fearing they're going to lose games. Yeah, good point. Um, especially when they're playing each other. Those are the teams that are getting wins. Look at Huddersfield; they've been very brave uh, recently, and they've got they've got their rewards for that. And um, I think that when Saints are playing these teams around them coming up now, I think they're going to need to get some wins. They're going to need to get some three points on the board because otherwise the pressure is going to be on them. If they don't do it enough, if they only do it once or maybe twice, they're probably going to have to go and beat Arsenal and Chelsea and Man City, somebody like that, mm. um, to stay in the division. And realistically, they've got a better chance of going out and beating Burnley away uh, by taking a bit of a risk than they have uh, beating Arsenal away or, or, or Chelsea, probably. So I just think I, I just want to see some more positivity now. I think they need to come out against Stoke with a display that is positive, that shows intent and and a desire to get those three points and to go for it. Because I think they've got a better chance of doing it that way than they have just being cautious and kind of almost hoping something happens in attack, which yeah. is what happened at Burnley. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me as a Saints fan, I think many Saints fans have said this, you know, we'd much rather lose a game by having a go than draw a game by not having a go. And, and I think that's part of the, the frustration. And look, I, I mean, I, I guess the other thing as well, is you look at those teams, you mentioned Huddersfield, Wagner is a very positive guy. You think of Brighton, Chris Hewton is generally a positive guy. Even Swansea have had some good results and Carver Howell's proven to be positive in his, his mindset. And you look at teams like Saints and Pellegrino and Pardew at West Brom and sort of quite negative and, and sort of almost in their tone and the way that they, they always look for the... I'm not saying Pellegrino does this as much as Pardew, but Pardew tends to look for the, the negatives in performances and those sorts of things as well. So, I, I, I mean, teams, you know, it's, teams are often reflective of their manager and their, their, the manager's personality, aren't they? And I think... Probably when you look at Saints, I think we all assume that Pellegrino is, is a defensive coach. He's quite quiet. He's quite unassuming. And there's, there's not much charisma there, I think, to a certain extent. And that's kind of represented on the pitch a little bit. Well, maybe. I mean, I guess I guess teams take their lead from their manager. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to counterbalance all, all my views. Because, like I said, you can probably tell that I was, I was to be honest with you, I found it quite frustrating at Turf Moor. Um, and uh, and I'm trying to counterbalance that with the fact that there is a certain amount of caution that is needed. That is part of the Premier League. You know, we, we to be honest, we were in the press box and we were watching the game and sort of jokingly, yeah, best league in the world. Well, best top six in the world anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. And when you see a game like that and um, and but that is the that is just the nature of the beast of the Premier League. There's so much at stake that, that I think um, a very good friend of mine who's a very high profile uh, football journalist said to me uh, this was the this was to him the worst premier league season he could ever remember mm. which seems extraordinary because he sees he sees all the teams on a very regular basis he said to me probably the best top 6 of all time and probably the worst bottom 14 of all time yeah um and I, what, when I spoke to him a bit more, what he meant by that is not necessarily the quality of individual players and things like that, but actually the nature of the league and, and the fact that um, that those bottom 14 teams, that so, such as the importance of staying in the division, that it's more important not to lose than it is to win games now. Um, and I think that Saints um, were certainly gripped by that at Burnley to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, and I think when you actually look at the table, that bears fruit because obviously you can throw a, a hanky over most of those um, 14 teams now. They're, they're very closely packed, as we know. Uh, and there is every chance that a very uh, a relatively low number of points is going to keep you in the Premier League this year, which again suggests those teams are just sort of mugging each other off for the odd points here and there, really. Mm. And, and that's what's happening. And, that, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Pellegrino, I don't know that he's necessarily worse in his mindset than a lot of the other managers, but I think this is just the way the Premier League has gone. This is just the way it is that that there is. I think managers are so concerned with um, the the tactics of the opposition and the style of the opposition, and not exposing yourself um, against players that are of a reasonable standard and who obviously can take chances. That they kind of they kind of forget about their own attacking strengths, so they almost blunt some of their own attacking strengths by trying to defend so much. And I, I don't know that Pellegrino's worse than 
lots of other managers for this, but I, I think maybe there is an argument that he's guilty of it. The only thing I would say, again, trying to counterbalance this in his defence, all right, it took them going a goal behind for him to make the changes, but he did make positive changes. And the, and the weird flip side of all this is um, he's been criticised for not reacting and not making changes. And then this time round, it was Sean Dyche who kind of did the sort of almost sitting on his hands and not reacting. And of course, it was Saints who ended up getting the point and it was, you know, the chatter amongst the Burnley people was mm. Pellegrino's made positive changes here and Dyche hasn't reacted, which is exactly the opposite criticism of what, you know, has been towards Pellegrino. Look, we'll come on to talk about it a bit more in uh, the preview for Stake about whether we need to freshen the team up because that may actually help the mentality if we're thinking about Josh Sims coming into the team and a bit of positivity. I'm going to flick these questions around because I was going to ask them the other way around, but you were touching on Pellegrino there, Adam. Um, I mean, sadly, I lost faith in him quite a few weeks ago, which I think most people probably know. I think probably Boxing Day was the uh, the last sort of uh, real ounce of uh, confidence I had in him. But in a recent Q&A that I did for um, Liverpool fanzine, I, I sort of said if we stay up this season, it'll probably be more through luck than judgment. And you mentioned it there. I mean, the, the, the problem I guess I have with him to a certain extent, and, and you sort of think back to the bizarre situation at Watford when we let the 90th minute equaliser in and then he bought two substitutes on, is that... For me, the biggest issue, I think, with, with him and managing Saints at the moment is he, he just seems to be a reactionary coach, not a uh, not someone that looks to, to impact a game. I know you mentioned that. I don't think Sean, and unless I was wrong, Sean Dyche didn't make one sub yesterday. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's a bizarre in itself as a one-off. But just in terms of Pellegrino, I mean, I, I think he said Josh Sims was all ready to come on. But you look at the, the statistics. I mean, Burnley score on 67 minutes. He brings Josh Sims on on 68 minutes. It looks totally like it's it's reactionary whether it was or not. But, you know, you hit the nail on the head there saying that we go 1-0 down. We then make some positive subs. We then look a much better team. We play two up front, all those sort of things. I think the question on so many Saints fans' lips, myself included, is why we don't do that from the outset, why we don't play positively, why, why we don't start our, our positive players and actually take, take the game to teams and actually try and have a go at them. And, and then we don't find ourselves in that position because by that time we're already 2-0 up. I think that there was, I mean, I kind of feel like I, I sort of have answered that with what, what I said about the nature of the Premier League. Is, and that's why I think managers are so wary of, of doing that, uh, of exposing themselves, as it were, because, you know, that I, I think a lot of, I think the difficulty is for managers is that though a lot of fans tend to say we would rather uh, lose 4-3 than, than, you know, a dull 1-0, um, that is that is true. But then to a certain extent, but then that only lasts so long because then fans turn around and go, well, this manager can't organise a defence. So, you know, all right, he can score goals, but, you know, we're losing 4-3. We're leaking three goals every week. How And... And managers these days are only probably six or seven bad games away from getting a sack most of the time and poor results. So I think that's part of what's the short termism of football is part of uh, what is what is driving it, because there's a fear that you don't want to lose too many games. And when you do, you don't want to lose too badly. You know, if you have to lose, lose by the odd goal. So it looks like you're in it. Um, I mean, my point with Saints is just that uh, they've got to play these teams around them. And these are potentially nervy games. But I, I still believe that Saints have got the quality in their ranks to, to do a little bit more than what they offered up at Burnley. And I, I don't actually advocate, because I don't think it's realistically going to happen, that Saints should you know, really kind of go, like against Stoke, for example, just go gung-ho. I, I don't think that's a realistic prospect because they're so low on confidence that, that I don't think that's going to have a positive impact probably but you've got to strike a balance somewhere along the line uh you've got to find some positivity uh in the team you can't just wait for things to happen uh, and I, I think now maybe after Burnley I certainly hope that Pellegrino will react with some positive changes to the team even if he doesn't change the style too too much he doesn't change the formation at least if he can seem to be being positive with his team selection, uh, that that might just be the boost that's needed. It might just be a little change here and there that's needed um, to kind of get out of of being in in a you know if the if the players are sinking into a negative rut or they're struggling to get out of it. But I think what was slightly concerning about Burnley overall was the fact that you felt like they got over this to an extent. The form isn't unbelievable, but it had been good. 
the progress wasn't huge, but there had been progress when, when we look at 2018 as a whole. Um, and you'd have felt in a situation like that that they wouldn't just get almost hemmed into this mindset of, of having to defend the whole time against a team who didn't look even remotely threatening most of the time and inc- also incredibly vulnerable. Mm. Look, I, um, I haven't got permission to, to use this clip, so I'm not going to play it as much as it would be nice to uh, to drop it in. Um, but uh, I thought it was interesting, and uh, I know it's been doing the rounds on Twitter today, that Jermaine Genus was obviously on BT Sport and said about Saints during the, the game, he said, um, I'm getting a, a really good understanding of why Southampton are where they are in the league. They don't seem to want to score goals in a weird way. They seem too happy to just keep possession at times, and it ends up being nothing. No dangerous crosses coming into the box no through balls with the pace of Redmond the quality of Ward Prowse career coming into the side I was expecting to see much more from them that was uh, I think just coming up towards half time so obviously the game changed I'm not specifically going to ask you uh, a question off the back of that Adam because I think we spent a, a lot of time on sort of uh, in inverted commas negatives of uh, Burnley already but I think to me it was a bit of an eye opener that we've now played 28 games you've mentioned the word identity numerous times and I think it's evident to everyone in the fan base outside the fan base that the identity of the, the team and what they're actually trying to do is, is still not there and that probably impacts a bit on the uh, the way they're playing but look I mean just to, to I want to make sure we end with a couple of positives so just to, to finish off this first bit um, we ran a poll on our Twitter site today just asking whether fans um, glasses were half full um, Tiff Nadal style that one defeat in nine games in all competitions was good um, or whether their um, glass is half empty that one win in 15 Premier League games simply isn't good enough um, just thinking about that um, for a minute, the, the glass half full, obviously that's one defeat in nine games. So if you take out the three cup games, that's um, six Premier League games. We've actually only accrued seven points during that time. So that's still only seven points from 18. And if you think about the one win in 15 Premier League games, Adam, that's actually 11 points from a possible 45 that we've taken over those 15, which uh, neither of those stats really are particularly good. But in terms of votes, um, 64% said that their glass was half empty. 25% said their glass was half full. The good old 11% said they didn't care but from your <laughs> from your point I, I always feel we have to put in that because I'm uh, I'm sure there's some people that don't care but <laughs> from your point of view why are they listening to this podcast I know I know they I know. don't care exactly <laughs> um, but, I mean just 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 to sort of finish the uh, the negative section so to speak from your point of view I mean are you still glass half full about that one in nine or are you glass half empty that one win in 15 Premier League games still tells a story uh well if you're asking me right now, do I, I think the question that I, I pose myself, I suppose, I suppose I'd probably go half full in that, though it's clearly not great. I think that having watched, I think all bar one of these matches, I have most of the time noticed progress. There have been a couple of dips in there. Liverpool, um, as we were aware, although the result was, you know, not a bit, and Burnley. Again, both of those, the performance was probably more concerning than the result in those ma- both of those matches, I would suggest. Yep. But actually, on the whole, there has been progress. And, and I still think that Saints are just about going to stay up. I still believe that they are just about going to do it. Um, I think it's going to be nervy till the very end. I don't think, I can't really foresee them at this stage getting on a run whereby they're going to pull away. And, you know, be, be looking at four or five games to go and feeling like they just need a win. That doesn't seem like it's very likely now. But I, I so I think it'll be nervy, but I still feel, I still uh, deep down, I, it's hard to sometimes articulate why you feel something, isn't it? But deep down, I still have this feeling that they will just about get out of this yep. um, by hook or by crook. So I suppose, uh, all things considered, I would probably go half full. But I, I don't suppose I would be able to say that there was any more than half in the glass. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I, I imagine it'll be champagne knowing you, so that's good. Um, look, oh, um... yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> only when Roger wins. Yeah, well, yeah, champagne and, champagne and caviar and the cravat and all that sort of thing. Excellent. Um, <laughs> let, 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 let's just end with some positives from the Burnley game. Um, you mentioned Bobby Madley already, so I'll tick him off. That's good. He was one of my positives. Um, Gabbiadini. Oh, <laughs> Gabbiadini. Um, look, for me, he's still the best striker in Southampton Football Club at the moment. Um, obviously, it was good to, to see him come on. There was a bit of luck. There was probably a bit of a foul in there as well. But look, good, good for him to finally get a goal and get back on the score sheet yeah it was good to see him get on there and when when we're talking about positivity I think that obviously the changes I don't think you'd start with the kind of team that Saints finished with because they ended up with pretty much all their attacking players I on would. the pitch and it, to, it well well maybe we should but it was quite hard to work out even what the formation was because they were just kind of all there 
Uh, like buzzing around. Like Rush, <laughs> Rush Gold. Even... Yeah, Alex McCarthy playing Rush Goldie and that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but, you know, how did the goal come? Winger. And then what happened? They had two strikers on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, it was Korea who set that goal up. It cross, was him cross into the who box. had. Yep. Yeah, finally had something to work with, you know, across and somebody to lay the ball off to. I mean, Carrillo, I'm well aware that he's coming for a lot of uh, criticism, um, which seems a bit harsh. You guys only been here five minutes. I agree. Uh, I agree. And he's clearly actually uh, got a little bit about him for my money. Now, he's not going to be a prolific goal scorer at any point, I don't think. He doesn't look like that to me. But his presence is helpful, I think, for Saints. But... I mean, how how long? I mean, Tadic has, Tadic has done quite well, and he does well in that 10 role with a striker, so I appreciate it's a bit difficult. But I think on the very first podcast that we ever did, all those months ago, we were discussing the team, and I was saying then, with the, with the players that were available, that I think Gabby Adini would be worth a run in the number 10 off of Charlie Austin. You did. And... Um, I, I still think that Gabby Adili is worth a go in the number 10 role off of Carrillo. Well, yes, all right, you're not going to get quite the work rate, perhaps, uh, from him. But Carrillo, the one thing is, Pellegrino's talked about his link-up play and that Saints are not quite sure what to do because Carrillo drops very deep, holds the ball up, brings teammates in. He's got no real pace to speak of, so he's not like holding the ball up and spinning and you know getting in behind again. But what he is doing is he's pulling people out and there are gaps in behind. We know Gabby Adini's a good runner into those holes. We know that when Gabby Adini's playing as the one up front, Saints aren't able to find him when he makes those runs. Um, so so when you're short of goals, why not give it a go? That Carrillo, Gabby Adini, that surely that goal proved that can work. That's, exa- that's, that's exactly what you want. The big man wins the ball. You get the second ball locked down. And in this case, you score from it. That's that's half the point of having the big man, especially if the big man's not much of a goal scorer himself, which it looks at the moment like Carrillo's not going to be a prolific goal scorer. Why not give it a go? I don't understand this obsession with having to have... The reason not is because Pellegrino, he's spoken about it, wants to make sure he's always got a striker on the bench. And I think that's why he, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons he doesn't want to play the two together when he's not got Long or Austin there either. But you know what? For me, that worked. And again, that would be a positive change. It would be not having to tear the formation apart, not having to tear the style apart. Yes, OK, there might be a couple of people that are going to have to shoulder a bit more work because Gabby D might leave you a bit more exposed. But you're playing like Stoke next. You're not playing Man City. Why? Why not? Give that a go. I, I think Gabby Adini, to me, is better suited to playing that number ten than he is the solo striker. And as I said, we've, I, I, you know, we've been discussing this for since the very first episode. But now they've got the big man there, you know, a better target man than Austin. Maybe not a better goal scorer, maybe not a better striker, but a better target man than Austin. You want somebody buzzing around to get in behind him and to get those second balls knocking down off of him. We just we saw it in action at Burnley. Why not give it a go? Do do me a favour, Adam. Do many thousands of Saints fans a favour. We can all see this. It's so blatantly obvious, and that's the frustration of it. So when when's the presser this week? Thursday, Friday, Thursday? Uh, presumably Thursday. Yeah. So can you go in there and just suggest to him possibly that he plays Josh Sims on the right? He can then pick from Tadic, Buffel, Redmond on the left. Um, he can play Gavidine in the hole, Korea up front. Let's go a bit. Let's go a bit old school and just lump balls up there and make you know send runners beyond Carrillo and get people in the box and get some crosses in the box because that is how we are going to win football matches. I think we can all see that and that is the frustration that you create a goal like that in the last minute of Burnley through the clear obvious way of playing with this Southampton team at the moment. So I think if you could do us all a favour, like, I know you, I know you can't do that, but it would be nice if you could. But uh, I think that's... I just slip him a note just, just like yeah, with, just... My, with my suggested team for this weekend and just like slide it across the desk and say Maurizio. You might want to have a little look at that, mate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he's bound to take on your knowledge. I mean, if you know, if not, when he's sort of looking the other way. Him. Yeah, well, if if not, when he's looking the other way, just whip your iPad out and have a chat to Xavier Tamarit or something like that. You know, just just get the the word out there. I think that's the way we need to do it. Look, I couldn't agree more with you uh, in terms of that. And as I say, we'll uh, we'll obviously talk about it. But I think for me, let's get Gabardini and Korea in the same team. Give it a go. Lumps and balls up to Korea and get Gabardini running beyond him. Um. Anyway, last last couple of positives. Um. We both got four million TSP uh, points for our prediction. Yes. One also. You, 
Yeah, you I, yeah, you copy me as well, so you you owe me at least half of those. In I think. Well, I did a quick tally up because I, I whenever we get it right, I mean, obviously I got the Liverpool game right, but you weren't here for that. But uh, I did a, a quick tally up, so I'm now on one hundred two million six hundred thirty points, um, and you're on you're sitting nicely now on four million and four points, so that's good. <laughs> I don't believe these figures. I do not believe these figures. <laughs> cool. All right. Last positive, Josh Sims. Um, again, I didn't watch the game. When I tweeted my positives yesterday, a couple of people came straight back to me quite rightly and said, Josh Sims, I've now seen the highlights. I've read the reports. Obviously, he had a brilliant shot that Nick Pope saved fantastically. He created the goal. He seemed to offer them, as we said, pace and creativity that they've not really had in the team for the last few weeks. Yeah, he was really good. He was really good coming off the bench again. Um I think the only thing I, I question with Sims, I, I would like to see him get a start or two, actually, because I think my big um, fear of, uh, with Sims is obviously we saw a bit of this last season and this kind of impact. But when he started games, he wasn't anywhere near as impressive. He kind of got into this rhythm of sort of going along with it, the, the sort of the pace of the game as it was rather than coming on and making this change to the game. He started so, against Everton, though, and he looked pretty decent in that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying exclusively, but, I mean, that was his debut, wasn't it, as yeah. well? Yeah. Um, and, and when you're playing with no fear on your debut, it's a little bit yeah, of a different, a different kettle of fish to when you're starting regularly every week. So I think that that's going to be the big thing in his career. Can he make the transition from being what you call an impact player, the guy coming off the bench, to actually being somebody who's making that impact every week by starting games uh, and that's going to be the big challenge for him in his career it's a challenge for a lot of players that play in the, the position and the style that he does as well um I, i'd like to see him given a chance to do it uh and, and given a chance to do it now really because i think i think the impact he had he deserves a chance in a team that's struggling to score goals yeah so i'd like to see him given that opportunity my only fear for him is is just whether he is going to be able to do that because last season he did struggle when he was given that chance to try and do that. Yeah, I, I guess the, the only thing is that you think about Stoke and the analysis that he'll be doing as Saints this week, he does bring that sort of unknown factor sort of element to it to a little bit. You know, Eric Peters, you think at left back, wouldn't necessarily know how to play with him. They wouldn't maybe have loads and loads of footage of him. So I guess it just takes away that sort of element of predictability a little bit as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it will. Saints will be more unpredictable with him in the team. I mean, you you know, you could have like him and Buffal, for example, and then and then probably in truth, if you played those two, you probably wouldn't then play Gabbiadini because you've got to have a certain amount of what you know in there and a certain amount of solidity as well as you know being more positive. Um, but uh, yeah, I I would consider that it's something that's definitely worth a go. I guess the only thing Pellegrino has to weigh up is that as Sims is having such a big impact off the bench, this sounds a bit weird, but sometimes I think managers get into this mindset of, you know what, it, maybe he will be better off the bench, so I'm going to pencil him in to play a significant role, but I'm going to bring him on after 60 minutes, and it's almost a premeditated tactic, to, to because you know that that's the period in which he can have a really big impact. So I guess that will be the decision for Pellegrino, but given everything, I think it might well be worth giving him a try this weekend. Before we move on to preview the Stoke game next weekend, I thought we'd have a quick chat about a couple of other talking points around Saints at the moment. Adam, starting with the warm weather training camp that I, I believe Saints are heading off uh, for a few days to Spain, um, I just wondered what you sort of felt the, the reason and uh, expectations were of that with them travelling off at this time of the season. Firstly, it's uh, to do a bit of training escaping the cold weather, um, escaping Staplewood uh, and having some different surroundings. Interestingly, last week, um, Maurizio decided to take the team to St Mary's to train uh, for a couple of days rather than training at Staplewood and, and the reason being one I think especially with all the cold weather some of the pitches at Staplewood had taken a bit of a battering as good a condition as they are in and they are kept in by, by the ground staff there uh, obviously when you've got the, the amount of the churn that they're getting from the players every day uh, I think that the, the pitches that are kept in the most pristine condition for the first team mm -hmm. had suffered a bit and so the you know there's better passing conditions as it were at St Mary's but also as he said himself just a bit of a change of scenery and a little bit of a change of atmosphere if you feel like the players perhaps are getting a bit stale maybe 
um, then just shaking things up a bit might just bring a bit of freshness, a bit of positivity. Uh, and obviously with this trip, the timing is the timing is good because the weather is just so bitterly cold here that to get away um, to somewhere warmer, which is, as we all know, is just being warmer is more relaxing than being freezing cold, might just kind of relax the players. Realistically, they're only going for two or three days, so they're not getting, uh, they're not exactly looking to, um, you know, crack the code, as it were, for, for success for the rest of the season on the training pitch. It will be light training, a bit of tactical stuff, and then a bit of relaxation, I'm sure, a bit of team bonding, a bit of just being together, hopefully not nicking any taxis or anything, or going to McDonald's at half five in the morning, but uh, hopefully a bit more sensible than that. But nonetheless, you know, a bit of a bit of the, the lads being able to just be away from home in each other's company with a bit of sun on their backs, just for just for a few days, just to try and, you know, lighten the mood. So at the end of the day, Saints are a Premier League football club. They've got wheelbarrows full of cash that they don't know what to do with. So when you're in a bit of a rut like this, why not why not spend a little bit of money and send them out somewhere warm just for a couple of days and try and get some extra unity and togetherness. This is uh, especially with um, the FA yeah the FA Cup weekends having gone. This is probably the last sensible opportunity to do it given the way the fixtures are going to fall now the rearranged games the fa cup games and in fact you lose players for a couple of weeks coming up soon for the international break um so i think it was just an opportunity to to change scenery and freshen up a little bit really Sorry for some, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's not bad if you yeah, get away to, to that. Yeah, but uh, I'll ask the echo whether I could go on a warm weather typing camp. <laughs> I can yeah. imagine the response. Yeah, warm warm weather for them would probably yeah you can go down to the Bournemouth Echo offices or <laughs> something like that. So yeah, so uh, there we go. But uh, no, you, also to the Bournemouth yeah, echo. exactly, exactly. Um, look, you mentioned the FA Cup there. We should probably give Wigan a quick shout out after our 25 minute preview of the Man City Southampton Cup game that would be coming up. <laughs> so uh, yeah, look, I mean, fantastic effort by Wigan. Um, we've already lined up a, a, a Wigan. Uh, fan to come on uh, not next weekend the weekend after so the weekend after the Newcastle game so we're going to have a chat to him about the uh, the FA Cup game but yeah well, look, when the match is going to be by then well fingers crossed I mean it's 24 hours notice at the moment isn't it I think so uh, I think yeah, so just, I, yeah. and if anybody wants to know how little fans matter in modern well, day football yeah. uh, actual paying fans who go to, to games then then this situation is, is the pinnacle absolutely because Saints Wigan, there's no replay involved. There's no. no reason whatsoever they can't decide when that game's going to be. I guarantee, Adam. Uh, I guarantee if Man City had got through, there's no way they would have weighed uh, Manchester City weight this long. It's just because it's two, in inverted commas, little clubs. I guarantee it. It basically seems to be that we're that everybody's having to wait just in case Tottenham get knocked out. That's yeah. basically it, isn't it? Because yeah. they won the first pick of when they put Tottenham on, yeah. and then Saints Wigan will just get lumped wherever. But you can already see the way the schedules are looking over that weekend, mm. that it's it's probably not going to be a particularly pretty fixture slot for Saints and, no. and Wigan. They're going to get kind of wherever they can be shoehorned in, basically. And the truth is, I think that when you look at the, the way the fixtures are going over that weekend, the best thing to do would be to turn around and go, OK, it's unfortunate, it's not what we wanted, but this game's going to have to be 3 o'clock Saturday and not be on TV. Yeah. But that won't happen because there's too much money at stake. So, well, um, yeah. And there's a certain other South Coast team that I forget what their name is now, but I believe they're playing away to Oldham on the Saturday anyway, which I imagine from a policing point of view and a travel point of view probably isn't a, an ideal scenario anyway. But I don't think, I, I just think logistically, yes, I appreciate there's that issue. We know that um, there's the TV slot issue. We know on the Sunday there's the Wigan Half Marathon that actually goes through the stadium. Yeah. Uh, which is That would be brilliant. Oh, they, they should do it for uh, that day and they're just halfway through the first half. There's just loads of runners <laughs> running across the pitch or something. Yeah. Oh, there's been a pitch invasion. Oh, no, it's a half marathon. Um, they've all got numbers on. This is a weirdest yeah. pitch invasion. Yeah. Uh, Might offer yeah, us something but... in midfield for a change anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> well, certainly plenty of legs. Yeah, plenty yeah. Of running. alongside Bobby Madley. There we go. Yeah, Bobby um, Madley cool. and, and the leader of the Wigan Half Marathon are now <laughs> midfield. Yeah. But um, but anyway, sorry, uh, this wasn't even your question. I, I can't even remember. What, I can't even remember what the question was. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. I'm, I think I'm just delirious this weekend after the game yesterday and the long yeah, trip. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've not been drinking. It, it was honestly. about the TV fixtures and Man City and the big club, little club thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this this should have been sorted out by now and certainly should be sorted out before it's going to be sorted out. And I just feel so sorry for the fans, particularly the fans of Saints, because they've got a 500-mile round trip. But 
also the fans of Wigan because of probably of all the clubs in the quarterfinals, there's probably only you know possibly the Sheffield Wednesday um, Swansea game as well that is probably as significant to them as any other club and yet they're the ones that are going to be suffering the most because they're probably the ones that are going to see their game either arranged at short notice which might mean they can't get there mm. or just shoved into some awful slot somewhere which again will probably restrict a lot of people from going the, the notice and the potential slot will yeah i just think i just think it's really shoddy and actually i, I appreciate it's difficult but i would i would like I almost would have liked to have seen Saints make a statement about this actually yeah. publicly and say we don't consider that this is really good enough. No. Um, but again, it's difficult because ultimately it's all about money. It's not about fans. Fans are customers these days, just wow. generally in football. And I think it's just really, I, I found it a bit disheartening and a bit disappointing because I can't see a good reason that they can't have either have have named the game or have just have said, look, these are the permutations. If Tottenham get through, we're putting them on Friday night and we're putting Saints, Wigan, this. If Tottenham don't get through, Saints are here and that's it. I appreciate that that, that sounds disparaging to Wigan and Saints, but at least the fans would know when it is. Mm. As Whereas what we've got is a situation which is completely disparaging to Wigan and Saints and the fans don't know when it is. So yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, I think everybody, I think that this game is a real, looks like a real loser of a game as it were yeah. um, in terms of the way the supporters are being treated and I think that's for, for a game for, for the two clubs is so massive for those two clubs involved it's a real shame that it's, it's being it's panning out like this yeah that's my prediction at the moment I think it's going to be the Monday night straight after EastEnders so there'll be one bombshell to another probably but uh, there we go now I, I agree with you I think um, certainly it's been uh, oh, it just sums up uh, I think uh, a lot of modern football that uh, it's really only the big six that matter but uh, there we go that'll be a, a conversation for a couple of weeks time anyway um, the other thing I just wanted to ask you about I know this was announced the week before last so I didn't necessarily want it to impact on the uh, fantastic podcast that Mark and Robbie um, did last week but obviously Saints announced um, the week before last that they were going to be setting up a, a supporters panel Adam that would uh, meet regularly with the club to discuss off-field subjects only they made that quite clear um, I just wonder what your thoughts were on that bearing in mind particularly myself as being quite critical of the uh, lack of communication between the club and fans over the, probably the last 18 months or so do you, do you see that as a, a bit of a meaningless sort of panel in terms of really what will be achieved? Or do you think it's good to see the club doing something like that? As I'm on my n night of getting on my soapbox, <laughs> um, well, uh, I, to be honest, if I'm going to be completely blunt about this, and I, I will just be honest about it. Please and do. I'm not going to be around the bush. I think it's a bit of a waste of time. This is the, I was trying to work out whether it's the fourth or the fifth supporters feedback panel that has been launched in the 16 seasons I've been covering Saints. It's, I've got, I wasn't, I was a bit woolly on yeah. whether it was four or five, but the fact that there have been four or five in that time goes to show that they haven't worked very well. Mm. Um, and, you know, it just smacks to me of probably uh, new people coming into the club who go, oh, I've got an idea, let's do a supporters panel, probably not realising that it's happened umpteen times before and it's failed umpteen times before and thinking, well, you know what, we can do it differently. Well, everybody has said that and nobody's done it yet. Yep. So I don't want to sound too cynical, but I do, uh, which I appreciate I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do sound quite cynical. Yeah, you do, I, I actually. Am aware. But, I, but to be um, honest, I totally agree with you, so it's fine, carry on. Yes, but uh, I, I, at the end of the day, um, the, the problem, uh, part of the thing it's saying is obviously we, there, there isn't a big, uh, supporters association to feed back to or anything like that and so you're just going to have these individual fans and I, I just feel like they would be better off if they wanted to get feedback not on the football side but on just general things mm. actually go into that system again where they invite in once every quarter or whatever they pick out 10 random season ticket holders yep. and they ask them to come in they say we're not going to talk about football football's off the table but we just want to know about your match day experience rather than go oh we're going to have 12 people or you're going to be able to get in touch with them with your pick well it's just oh it's yeah. just a waste of time to me that seems like a seems like I, I think it's been done with the best of intentions i don't think it's cynical or anything like that i think it's done with the best of intentions but to me it just seems like a, a bit of a, a waste of time and, and it, I, you know it's one of those things that you feel like I wonder if in it, I hope that maybe I'm, I hope that I'm wrong because it might bring about some really positive change. But um, I suspect in a year we might or a year and a half, maybe we might have forgotten this even exists. And then 
when there's another change of staff and another new board of directors, another three years, there'll be another fans panel being launched because yeah. that's what's happened in the past. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I, I, I think, um, look, I mean, as you say, whoever gets uh, the 12 positions, someone someone was very kind to suggest myself a couple of weeks ago and I made a quick point that, with all due respect, I couldn't really give a toss about what type of variety of hot dog we have and how much it costs. And uh, to me, you know, I think like many fans, I'm really bothered about the... Uh, atrocities that are going on on the football pitch at the moment but uh, I think really you know good luck and if it does work as you say then uh, fantastic I think one thing that the club do need to do is get closer to the fans whether this is the right way to go about it or not time will tell but uh, yeah I was just interested to get your view on Adam so it's good to hear that. The Stoke game then. Stoke will arrive at St Mary's next week below Saints in the table but only by one point having themselves picked up a hard-fought away point over at Leicester this weekend. Adam Stoke another game that I look back on in September and think that that was a a point thrown away late in the day by uh, big bad Crouchy scoring. Um, I was going to ask about Stoke whether you're surprised to see them where they are in the league or not. Uh, No not really. Um, I can't I can't say I am desperately surprised. Um, Wow. Let's be honest, that all right, they're second from bottom, but at the moment you go, well, they're in a group of about 10 teams that are separated by almost nothing. So you, I would have imagined at the start of the season that there was probably a fair chance that if, if the league was going to pan out this way, they could be one of the ones that are in that group. I suppose, if I'm totally honest, um, I thought perhaps they might just have a little bit more attacking quality than some of the teams around them when, when the season started. But having seen them you know, fairly early on, uh, it was obvious that then that they were probably going to struggle. And we came away that day sort of scratching our heads of how on earth Saints ended up losing that game, mm. um, especially after Myers Yoshida's incredible acrobatic goal. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, they they are down there. I think we, we spoke last week, West, in our opinion, in my opinion, West Brom are gone. And, and then the result against Huddersfield has only compounded that still further. Yep. That I think that that's one place we don't have to worry about. Um and Stoke, to me, look like probably the next most vulnerable to be dragged into that. They could get cut away. Um, I, I would say that they're, they're the next one on the chopping board. If somebody's going to get cut adrift in that melee down there, I, I suspect it might be Stoke that are the ones that do. They, they might not, but they look, they look the most vulnerable to me. Um, and again, a bit like West Brom, it's interesting that when you kind of get that feeling that Saints are the next up, to play them and that obviously Saints could get an important three points for them but also start to you know dig the grave for Stoke as they did for West Brom really mm. such a massive opportunity for three points here uh, and and it's really got to the stage now where you feel like it's one that's got to be taken there's not really much margin for error now with the fixtures that are coming uh, later on in the season if you don't if you're not going to win this type of game then what games are you going to win just before we go on to sort of talk about Saints a bit more, um, Stoke sacked Mark Hughes after a poor run of form. They tried to get Kiko Sanchez Flores. He sort of let them down 12th hour. They then um, tried to get Martin O'Neill. He wasn't really interested. So kind of third and final choice really was Paul Lambert. Were you surprised that they bought someone like him in? It's somewhat of a surprise, I suppose. But, you know, I, I would just reflect back on, on, if you go back through the podcast, on what I've said about... Pellegrino and one of the reasons I was thinking this yeah one yep, of the reasons yep. that I've I've sort of championed uh keeping him even to people who are unhappy I, I don't want to sit and argue the toss if people are unhappy with his tactics or unhappy with the way he goes about things whatever well that's for everybody's view it's not for for me to tell them they're wrong or to try and dissuade them but just when people say they should just get rid of him blindly my point has been well that's a great theory that you might have but the club uh, have to think a step further and they have to think about okay let's suppose we get rid of him what now and Stoke mm. have proven that the, the grass isn't always greener uh, actually uh, because they have sat their manager they have obviously hoped for um, to get in one or two others that hasn't happened which is a danger when you sack your manager Everton found the same Everton got in somebody who gave them a bounce effect, but looks like a very short-term appointment. There's a lot of talk they'll replace in the summer. Stoke uh, couldn't get in their first choices, and so have ended up kind of getting what they consider the best of whoever they could get, pretty much. You know, the person who would take the job, the best person they would get who would take the job regardless, basically. And 
is that better than Mark Hughes is the question that you've got to ask. Or have they put themselves by just axing Hughes in such a situation that the, the, they, they kind of ended up in this position that they just had to get anybody? Um, and, and that's, you know, that's part of the reason that I've said that I felt that Saints should just stick with Pellegrino, at least for the season, and just let him have the season because it had gone too far to go and get realistically anybody else decent. And it had gone too far in the sense that you were basically, if you couldn't find, if there wasn't somebody there that you desperately wanted, which I think we're safe to assume with Saints there isn't, then uh, you are basically taking a gamble on getting a bounce for four or five games. That's it. That's all you're doing. You're, you're sacking the manager and getting a new manager and hoping you get the bounce. But the bounce isn't guaranteed. And if you get that wrong and you don't get the bounce and things perhaps even get a little bit worse because there's a bit more instability in the dressing room because of the change of manager and stuff like that, you are relegated. You are gone. That is it. There's no, there's not room for error. There's not room for losing another four or five games in a row. Um, and there hasn't been for, for a little while. So I think that's surely part of the reason that Saints have wanted to remain patient with Pellegrino, even though the season hasn't gone as they hoped. And uh, I think that there's, you know, when you look, across the division the clubs that have changed there have been a few clubs that have got the bounce good on them and there have been a few clubs who a couple of clubs that have made the change that haven't got the bounce West Brom and Stoke for example and look what, where they are now so actually that's why I've, I've said consistently all along that I think that, that keeping Pellegrino for the season is the right move just, just to back him and hope it comes good the only thing I said is that you've got to back him in January obviously they brought in one player Ideally, they would have bought in somebody else, but at least they got somebody for him. And in terms of players that Saints need to watch, I imagine all eyes are on Shakiri, really, Adam. Three goals in his last three games, and he's obviously a very talented little player, so he's certainly the, the most dangerous Stoke player we need to keep our eye on. Shakiri's their gun. He is their, uh, their talisman. He is the extra piece of quality that they have got. And ideally, every team needs a player like that. Um, especially one that's, if you're in a team that's struggling. And he is the one that Saints have got to watch out for. He is, in my opinion, he is a top draw player. I, I really have yeah. always enjoyed watching him play when he's played against Saints. He's, uh, he's a real live wire. And he's one of those guys that's just very, very difficult to handle because you can make some plans for what you're going to do with him. But actually, he's quite unpredictable. Uh, and Stoke are making a good job of giving him a reasonable amount of freedom to kind of come around, move around the pitch. I saw, I saw a bit of the Leicester game in, where I was in the press room working before the um, eating before the game at Burnley. I did eat uh, cottage pie and peas, incidentally. Nice. Uh, proper northern very northern, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but very nice. I know you won't agree that this is a must-win for Saints, Adam, because no game is must-win, but would you agree that it's must-not-lose? The reason I don't like the phrase must win, as you know, as I've said a lot of times, is because the world won't explode if Saints don't win. But what I can say is in the context of them staying up, this is a need to win game. <laughs> Which is different. It's different I, think we finally, win. I think we've finally no, broken you. Adam no, Leach has admitted this is a must win game. That, everyone's no, heard it. Everyone's I heard it. I said, I said it's not a must win game. It's a need to win game. <laughs> and there is a difference because must win game assumes that there's some... You know, it sounds like there's going to be some horrific consequence if they don't win. Um, as whereas need to win is need is need to win in the context of staying up. Um, <laughs> I think I think you've put some form of journalistic spin on this, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely delirious after this weekend. I don't know what I don't know what I'm talking about. Honestly, uh, goodness yeah. knows what I've said in the last hour. No, well there we go. Right, fine. So before we do our predictions. In terms of the team, I know we spoke about it earlier. I know you're going to pass a note to Pellegrino, have a word with him at the press on Thursday, so that's all good. So I'm feeling a lot more confident. But um, you know, what, on a serious note, Adam, what would you do with the team from a Saints point of view? I think the the goalkeeper in the back four, we know. Um, you're going to have two of Lamina, Romeu, Hoiberg. I would probably get Hoiberg back in. He's just that little bit more positive going forward. And then I would either play him with Romeu or Lamina. Take your pick, really. Um, or, or Bobby Madley. Yeah, or Big Bob. Yeah. Um, and I'd uh, to keep Carrillo in as the target man. And then then you've got a bit of a difficult decision there because uh, I would I think it's worth giving Sims a go. And then I think, well, in reality, what is going to be picked? Um, I, I would quite like to see Gabbiadini in that number 10 role and then to go positive. 
Um, and then maybe if he wanted to go a bit more workmanlike and probably put Tadic out on the left or even bring in Stephen Davis and put him out on the left just because you wanted that extra work rate and solidity, um, then then that I think that would be acceptable, especially as, as we've seen, when you get Stephen Davis out on the left, it brings Warren Bertrand's attacking uh, mm. game into into play a lot more as well. But to be honest, I think I would do that because I like I just think after this week, the reaction I'd like to see is a really positive reaction. I hope it's not too cautious a team selection. I do feel a bit sorry for saying that towards James Ward-Prowse because I actually think he didn't have a, a great game at Burnley, but he's actually done really well recently. And I feel a bit harsh to say, well, you know, leave him out for Sims because they play in the same position. But uh, I just think you need to maybe get that extra little bit of thrust and unpredictability into the mix uh, this weekend might be a good thing. Excellent. All right, then. Prediction for the game, then, Adam. What do you reckon? I think Saints will win, and I think they will win by two goals to one. Good. I like that. I reckon it's going to be another typical, frustrating St Mary's performance, Adam. Oh, no. Don't say that. I'm going with Bombshell. Zero to Southampton and one to State City. No, I, I can't see that. I don't I don't think they will lose this I game. Just, I really just, don't. Yeah, I'm just still... I'm, sadly, I'm just, I'm just not convinced that we've got the right mindset and I don't think that the manager will be positive in his approach to the game. And look, I mean, there's more to this, as I've said all along. There's more to this whole scenario than Maurizio Pellegrino. But I just think at the moment, we, we had our chance to replace the manager. We've missed that window. We're now stuck with what we've got. He needs to get the best out of the team. But I, I just think St Mary's is going to be nervous. I think the players are going to be nervous. You can see Stoke scoring off a set piece or Shakiri won the goal. And I think just um, it's, it's hard to not sound pessimistic after the podcast. But I just um, obviously I hope they win. And uh, obviously I hope we get the, the three points we need. But yeah, I, I just think it's going to be another one of those frustrating St Mary's days, sadly. But, and it's going to be in a plane about minus five degrees as well, isn't it? So it's really a, another weekend to look forward to there. Thanks. Thanks as ever for listening to this episode of Total Saints Podcast. I hope it's not sounded too negative. We obviously try to be as honest as we can, but I don't uh, want Adam and I to necessarily sugarcoat everything. Um, Adam, really appreciate your honesty. I think lots of Saints fans will uh, understand that it's um, difficult with the role you're in to try and be um, constructive, pragmatic, negative, all, all in one go, really. So appreciate you being with us and obviously look forward to catching up with you next week. Well, yeah, I've got to make a start and re- clawing back some of these points, haven't I? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, games, the games are running out, really, aren't they? Yeah, so, absolutely. So, no, cool. We'll have, have a good week and uh, yeah, wrap up warm next weekend. And in the meantime, wish everyone else that's listening a good week and keep marching in. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.